It's funny, I don't think there's too many times where I, I come here on Sunday morning and I am just excited to bring the word. Usually it's this, this mix of just fear and trepidation and, and, a, and a little bit of excitement this morning. I, I'm excited about God's word, what he has for us this morning, because I so much need this word. And what we are going to see this morning, I've entitled the sermon this, How to Build Someone Up in the Lord. I don't know what your life looks like as you look back, but as I look back upon my life, there are those that have just invested in me. First, it started in in the area of sports. I had coaches, soccer coaches, that, that would work with me long and hard and, and tell me, man, I can see you being better in this and this and this. And That went on to running, that went on to all sorts of, of different activities. I wonder this morning what, what that looks like in your mind. As you consider how someone has come alongside you in the past and invested in you and challenged you, encouraged you, and challenged you to be better and better in something. Maybe it was in the, the way of instruments, learning more and more musical instruments. And to this day, as you look back, you go, man, there's no way I would know all these instruments that I know today unless this particular person had invested in me and encouraged me and challenged me. And maybe that's what it was in school that you had a teacher that came alongside and spurred you on in the area of education, even going on to pursue more and more education. Maybe, maybe that's your parents, but let me, let me pull it in even more to something even more significant than sports, than, although sports are important to a lot of people. <laughs> more important than your vocation, more important than your schooling. How about in this area of your relationship with Jesus? Who came alongside you and invested in you and spurred you on and challenged and encouraged you to become more and more and more like Jesus? For me, I, I, I have these, these recollections. It, it was in college, a couple, couple of my friends and I, Vince and Craig, we, we didn't plan any of our college days, classes on Fridays. Why? Because we went to Trestles and we surfed every Friday. That may not sound like something spiritual to you, but it was so good for us. As we were dating girls, as we were doing this and doing that, we were challenging each other to walk more and more closely with the Lord Jesus Christ. I got a job at Sunshine Ministries, houseboat camps, the Sacramento Delta, and Grant got me that job. And that whole summer, he just invested not only in me, but, but everyone that was working at houseboats, taking us out in a little boat, and, and him and his guitar singing songs to the Lord with us and just challenging us again and again and again about, man, you're doing such a great job serving the Lord. There was nobody, even to this day, that I could compare with the encouragement that, that Grant would give. He asked me to, to teach a kind of a Bible study on Sunday before all, the, before all the campers arrived for us to start houseboat camp that, that particular weekend. In 
And so I, I, I studied out Romans, and I taught. And after I finished teaching, you know what he did? He came alongside, and, and he said, have you ever thought about going to Bible school? Have you ever thought about, about becoming a pastor, becoming a missionary? Because I think you can teach. I think you have the gift of teaching. Barely knew me. And yet, over the years, even after Shannon and I got married, you know what? He wanted to meet my wife. As we were heading overseas, he wanted to take us out to lunch. He would send us letters periodically, just reminding us that he was praying for us, and he was so excited about the work that the Lord was doing in and through us. He, he, was, he was like our cheerleader, and, and he didn't even know my wife. And then there's Mildred Tibbetts, my home church in Redondo Beach. She was like the Sunday school superintendent. I, I didn't think she hardly knew me. Her granddaughter was in youth group with me. We, we became missionaries, sent out from that church. You know what Mildred would do? She'd write us a letter, and it, and it would seem like it would take months for her to write the letter, and it was never on an email. It was always handwritten, and it would be page after page after page telling us about what's happening in the church, but just encouraging us over and over again about how wonderful it is that you guys are doing this job. I couldn't do what you're doing just challenging us. She had an impact in our lives. That's what we're going to see from the Apostle Paul this morning. But even before we get to 2 Timothy, turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. A passage of Scripture that we're all so familiar with. But my question for us all this morning is, are we doing this? Are we spurring each other on towards love and good deeds? Are we seriously considering how we can come alongside one another? If you want to start with, within your family, how are you doing there? Just within your family. How are you doing spurring your wife on to becoming more like Jesus? Is she more like Jesus today, this year, because of your influence than she was last year? How about your kids? Look at what Hebrews says. This, this is so challenging. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without what? Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I believe that's what's happening in the life of Timothy. He, he was seemingly beginning to waver a little bit. Beginning to get maybe a little bit tired and fearful of what he continued to do day after day after day looking after the church, particularly in Ephesus. And notice, I'm not saying that this is Paul. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but it is consistent in God's word that part of us becoming more and more like Jesus, yes, the majority of that work goes to the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives, but there is another part of that work that comes to each other. And how we get along and how we do this. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you encourage others? Do you spur them on? That, that question has just been coming to me. All week long. How am I doing at this? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
as we see this example from the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's on his deathbed. He's trapped in this dirt cell. And yet, what is he thinking of? He's not thinking of himself. He continually, over and over again, focuses on others. In particular, here, Timothy. Remember first, we looked at last week, where does he start? He starts by taking all the focus, even off of him and his apostleship, and putting it all on the Lord Jesus Christ. And on God's will, this is what God has done. Timothy, remember, Jesus Christ is our all in all. And the promise of life is found only in him. That is who you are proclaiming. That is who you are preaching. That is who your all in all is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, do not forget that. Do not forget that grace, mercy, and peace come only from him and only through him. And then he says this. The very next thing that he says, after framing everything in that right to Jesus Christ perspective, then he goes to this. I thank God. He's going to give affirmation. He's going to show his affection to Timothy right from the start. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we we need you this morning. Lord, first I pray for any who might be listening on live stream or here this morning who does not know you, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their Savior. None of this makes sense. None of this has anything to do with them until that person, until you listening this morning. Recognize that you are a sinner, as we all are. There's only one that walked this ground that was not a sinner in human form, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us, we fall short. I pray that you would save them this morning, that you, by your incredible grace, that you would grant them repentance, that you would... Allow them to see their sinfulness and the answer that only comes through you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're dying. The death that you laid down for us willingly. Your perfect sacrifice after your perfect life. That you, the sinless, eternal one, became man and died upon the cross that we might have life, have it abundantly. I I pray that those listening this morning would turn to you, trust in you and you alone, for you are the only way to salvation. For the rest of us this morning, Lord, who know you, keep this from being empty words. 
Keep this from just being words on a page. Allow your Holy Spirit to use it, not in any way that I would think of, but how you want to use it. I pray this wouldn't be about me, that you would step me aside, lay me aside, and speak through your word as only you can, Lord. Teach us from Paul's example. We want to be used by you in each other's lives. We want to see each other just grow leaps and bounds in how we love one another and how we love you, how we represent you to this world that is in so desperate need of your precious gospel and the new life that is found only in you. So bless our time now in your word. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So Paul, as we see him switch gears here and opens for us verses 3 to 7, he's given Timothy this lesson, this lesson on how to love someone like Jesus. How to encourage them, how to cheer them on, how to give them affirmation and and yet also reveal that he has an affection towards him, that he loves Timothy. That he can't wait to be back with Timothy, and so he calls Timothy to him. He's basically saying, hey, Timothy, I see God at work in you, and I know the Spirit will give you strength to accomplish this task. What I want to do is remind you of his strength, his purpose, his will. That that might encourage you to keep on keeping on, even right now when you don't really feel like it. And so what we're going to see, and, and I'm sorry just to show you just how at, at times we, I change things in my sermon from Thursday morning to Thursday afternoon or whenever that was. Um, there's not five ways to build up a fellow believer. There's four ways. I combined two of them. So go ahead and cross out the five and put four. You can do that. I'm, I'm going to do something even crazier, and I'm going to encourage you to change even verse 7 to capital S, Spirit, because it's talking about the Holy Spirit, than actually the little lowercase spirit, which you might think is talking about your spirit. That is not what verse 7 is talking about. But we'll get to that later. Four ways to build up a fellow believer. And notice where Paul starts in an in, in oh-so-challenging expression for us. How do you build a fellow believer up? You tell them you're praying for them. But what is implied in that is that you are indeed praying for them because if you tell them you're praying for them and you are not, you are what? A liar. So so don't just wax eloquently and, and, and try to encourage someone if you haven't actually prayed for them. First, pray for them, but don't leave it just at praying for them. Let them know you're praying for them. That's where Paul starts. I thank God, verse 3, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. Even pointing it back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, hey, I'm, I'm just like those guys. They prayed, I pray. As I serve him, they served him. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. What do you think it means when Paul says, I am praying for you night and day? It means he's praying for him night and day. Throughout the day. Throughout the night. Is that challenging to you? This is challenging to me. Does the Lord ever stir you at night? 
and remind you of someone that you haven't been thinking about, and instead you're more frustrated that you can't get back to sleep than you are thinking that possibly the Lord is bringing this person up to your mind so that you may stop and pray for them. I remember when Shannon and I were in P&G and Papua New Guinea where we served for, for so many years and, and we went out on break and her mom let us know, hey, you know what, I, I, I prayed for you like a month ago or it might have been six weeks ago. You see, we didn't leave the tribe for like six weeks or I'm sorry, every six months we'd leave the tribe, but we didn't get emails then for almost five or six weeks in between time in the beginning. It wasn't like missions is today where everybody just has quick, quick, quick. You can jump on the internet, even in the bush, in the remote jungles. No, at that time, we did everything actually on like a little floppy disk drive that we'd send out. We'd wait six weeks for it to go out, six weeks to come back. It would take two to three months to get any kind of information back from people. Shannon's mom was, was spurred on by the Spirit one night, woken up. They didn't know why they should pray for us, but they prayed. Later on, we, we, when we were talking with them, we, we kind of synchronized, synchronized exactly when it was that she said she was praying for us. They had no idea what was going on. One of our kids had malaria. Can God do that? Well, I don't, I don't know, Pastor Jason. I, I thought you're kind of a biblicist and, and, and this and that. That kind of sounds a little bit... Out. No, this is the way that the Holy Spirit functions. He will stir us in order to... Get us to pray. The question is, are we praying? Does the Lord stir you at night sometimes? I was challenged this week in, in hearing that this is the way that the couple, a couple ends their night every night as they lay their heads on their pillow and they are now praying with one another. They stop and they say, hey, let's ask the Lord if He would lay upon our hearts someone to pray for. Do you do that? Or do you just try to get to bed as quickly as you can and, and get through your normal prayers? This isn't saying that Paul never slept, by the way. This isn't saying that Paul, for some reason, 24 hours, 7 days a week, was in conscious prayer all the time. That everything that Paul did, he was just boom, he was praying, praying, praying. No, because we know that there are things that Paul did that would have required his attention. He couldn't write a letter and be in prayer the whole time unless we are looking at being in prayer as what? As an attitude of the heart. And that is what he is speaking of. It's this idea of walking in dependence upon the Lord. I wonder as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, who wasn't cruising around in a Tesla as he was going from one place to the next, he was walking. And it would take him a long time when he was on a ship and it would take him a long time to get from point A to point B. If somewhere in all of that that the Lord just started convicting him and teaching him how to abide in Christ, how to walk closely with God, how to pray all the time. In an attitude of prayer, seeking the Lord and the Lord putting more and more people upon his heart. As he would walk from this place to that place, it wasn't wasted time. It was really time and prayer for God's people. Is, is that what your life is like? No, my life is, is like I, I get in all sorts of ruts, but it's not a rut in praying consistently all the time. It's a rut of spacing out, turning on my radio and listening to this or that. Might the Lord want us to, 
to follow Paul and his example in recognizing that, that we should be more about prayer. Seeking the Lord in these areas. Why would Paul pray for Timothy night and day? Because he needed it. So what do we do first? What does this teach us? This teaches us that we must pray. But don't leave it there. So oftentimes we do. Notice Paul doesn't leave it there. He actually lets Timothy know what? That he has been praying for him. And that is what we must do. We need to tell others that we are praying for them. That in the spirit of intercession throughout the day as the Lord pulls people into our minds that we would stop and we pray for them. Turn with me to Romans. This, this, this to me is quite amazing. I don't know what you think of when you think of the Apostle Paul, but I don't tend to think of him as a prayer warrior. I don't think of him as someone who constantly over and over and over again lets people know, hey, I've been praying for you. Hey, I've been praying for you. Hey, I've been praying for you. And I might say that, but, I, but I, it might not be truthful. That's something the Lord's convicted me of. But look at what Paul does. We're going to see this in Romans. We're going to see this in Corinthians. We're going to see this in almost every one of his letters. Do you know what he says? Romans 1, 9 to 10. He says he's been praying for them. And recognize when, when we're talking about Romans, we're talking about a place he has not been yet. He doesn't even know these believers. And yet he's committing himself saying, hey, you know what? I'm praying for you guys. Look at verses 9 to 10. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly that means a lot. I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Why? Because you guys matter to me and I want to see you. Again, giving them a, a short little affirmation in and that. And I have so many churches, I have so many people I know, but man, I want to get to you in Rome. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. What kind of language is that? That is prayer language. When do you thank God? He's thanking God when he prays, and he's thanking God for the Corinthians, in spite of the Corinthians, who we know had many problems going on. And yet he lets them know, man, I am praying and I'm thanking God for you. Okay, how about Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 1. And I could go on and, and, and actually give you Colossians, give you Philippians, give you over and over again we see this. Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 16. Look at this. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Philemon, he prays for him. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Even the Thessalonians, 
the believers in Thessalonica, what did he want to do? He wanted to remind them, not just that he was praying. It's one thing to pray, and then it's an entirely different and even more better and more encouraging for us to let people know, hey, we're praying for you. 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God, of our God and Father. Paul wanted them to know not just that he was praying, but that he was praying for them. And oftentimes he was praying specifically for them that their faith would grow, their wisdom in him would grow. Look at the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This would mirror Ephesians 6, 18 to 20 where Paul says, praying at all times. Again, this attitude of prayer is something that should be a part of who we are. That doesn't mean that you can't stop and sleep. It means that you should have an attitude whereby you are entrusting all things to the Lord and when the Holy Spirit reminds you of something or someone that you take notice. Look at what he says. These are three sweet and short verses, but oh, so good for us to consider. Number one, about your attitude, rejoice always. Number two, verse 17, about your prayer life, pray without ceasing. Number three, verse 18, shows us in particular, well, how are you to pray? In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That is Paul in a nutshell. How else could he respond the way that he's responding in 2 Timothy, facing death, a very certain death, about to come on him, And yet what? He doesn't talk about himself. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking of others. He's thinking of Timothy. But he doesn't want to just keep it with that that he's praying. He wants Timothy to know, hey, I am praying for you. So he lets him know. And we need to follow suit. So that is the first thing that we must do in following Paul's example in how to build someone up is to tell them you're praying for them. And number two, express your thankfulness for them. We see this really, it starts in verse 3 as well. Notice again how he starts. He doesn't always start with thanksgiving, but he wants to with Timothy. Why? Because he wants to encourage Timothy. Because he wants to spur Timothy on. He wants to remind Timothy it's all good. Because it's all Christ. I thank God. Why does he thank God whom he serves with a clear conscience that my, as my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day? Why does he thank God? Verse 5, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. Brother, I thank God and in particular why I thank God in my prayers is because I am so incredibly thankful for your faith. Do you think that would have spurred Timothy on to perhaps keep going 
For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. But then he says even more, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it, that it is in you as well. Paul doesn't mention people by name unless generally he knows them. So this speaks to the fact that what Paul is saying is, is these are people that he has some sort of an acquaintance with, a relationship with, that he knew Timothy's family. He knew Timothy's grandma Lois. He knew his mom Eunice. Not only did he know them, but he'd actually seen their faith in action. And he reminds him of that. But even before that, notice what he says in verse 4. He shows and shares his love for Timothy. He doesn't back away from it. How often do you give someone encouragement? How much of what's coming out of your mouth is an affirmation? Man, I see the Lord working. And notice, this isn't an affirmation in building Timothy's self-esteem, anything but that. He's building his Christ-esteem that he recognizes, oh man, I am so excited. Why? Because I see God at work in you. It's clear. It's evident to me. And because we are so tight, because we share a mutual friendship and adoration for one another, and as a result, I long to see you even as I recall your tears. Why? So that I may be filled with joy. Because seeing you would bring me great, great joy. That's what Paul is saying. He shares really what, what is his affection for Timothy and reminds him of that. Why? Because it could be that wherever Timothy is at in Ephesus, that there is not a whole lot of love being poured out on Timothy. And perhaps the people that you are in contact with today, right now, that they need this kind of love and affirmation from you, reminding them how much you matter to them and how much you matter to God, to the Lord. Notice again, what is he so thankful for? He's thankful for their faith, their sincere faith. It means a faith that hasn't disappeared. A faith that has been tested and tried and still seen to be faithful and on display today. And notice how he designates what kind of faith this is or what this faith did. That it first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and then your mom Eunice. And now I know that it dwells in you. This word dwell is a sweet, sweet word. It means in the Greek to, to come in and take up residence. It means to move in. And we need to think, okay, think about moving into a house. That's what this word is picturing. That that faith wasn't there yesterday. But when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was presented, that faith then came in and made its residence, made its home in you. But not only does it speak of that particular time that that happened, that's inception of that faith, it goes a step further and speaks of that, that faith then turning into faithfulness. And this is what he's seen in the lives of his grandmother and his mom. Think about what an amazing statement this is. Why? Because of the investment that his mom and his grandma placed upon Timothy. And think of the influence that happened 
through his mom and his grandma over and over and over again as he saw in them what true faith, saving faith looks like. Might I say a word to all of you that have been blessed with grandchildren? This is you. This is your opportunity. This is what the Lord desires to use you in, whether you're a grandma or a grandpa. What? This is, this is where you can come alongside your grandchildren, and you can be this kind of example. You can have this kind of influence upon your grandkids, and then you can give them back to their parents and let them go home. And you just love on them, and you just pour everything that you can into those kids, and you share your faith with them at every opportunity that you have, no matter what you're doing, that this is your time. That's what was going on. Oh, what a blessing. But how many times do we miss these blessings, these opportunities to invest in our loved ones, our grandkids, our own kids? I wonder, too, that this would have been an added encouragement to Timothy. Why? Because he's reminding Timothy in very much the same way. Not only do I know that you are saved because I've watched the Lord work in and through you over and over again. Why? Because everybody else abandoned me except for Luke. Even right now as I'm in this cell and I'm calling for you to come and visit me. Timothy, I want you to know that I have seen your faithfulness before the Lord time and time again, and that is such an encouragement to me. So many other have, others have abandoned the cause of Christ, but not you. And in that, keep on keeping on, Timothy. You've been right by my side. The thought of you brings joy to my heart. That's what he says. And do you know what? Timothy needed this encouragement he needed this affirmation. And I wonder if many of us do as well. Do you know how much Timothy needed this affirmation? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. I wonder if we really understand the kind of man Timothy was and the transformation that God has done in him. And I wonder if you can picture yourself a little bit more as a Timothy than you can a Paul. I know I can. Why? Because the Apostle Paul, he's like a mighty lion that just runs into anything and he doesn't care what's going to happen as a result. Timothy is, is, is more like a, a little sheep that's scared he's, he's, he's going to get hurt. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, look at these two verses, 10 and 11. Clearly depicts the kind of struggle that Timothy had in certain areas. On the one hand, his faith was so strong and a testimony to God's goodness to him. But then there's this other aspect of Timothy where we can see that he's fearful, he's timid. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with, that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. But he has to remind them, hey, take it easy on Timothy. Think of the delicate cycle that you, you, know, you put your clothes on. Timothy's a little bit on the delicate side, given to fear, given to timidity. Verse 11, so let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. All of that should be an encouragement to us. Why? Because most of us are not like Paul. 
Most of us are like Timothy, and what we need is we need encouragement. We need someone to encourage us, and at times, instead of just giving us a nice little pat on the back, we actually need a little push forward. That's what I believe Paul's doing for Timothy here. He's, he's giving him a, a small little push, but it is a push forward. Hey, hey, don't stay stagnant. Don't be pleased with where you are right now and looking back to the past and all the times that we shared, Timothy. I get it. I, I know that, that for you, I'm, I'm like your dad. And I'm, and I'm certain in so many ways, Paul was like a crutch for Timothy. He was a support for Timothy. But this support, this crutch is just about gone. And so what is he doing? He's reminding him of all that he has in the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't ever think that the Lord can't use you in much the same way that he used Timothy. You see, the Lord is in the the business of taking the weak, the young, the timid-hearted and doing amazing things through them. So what do we do first? We tell them that we're praying for them. And that involves actually praying for them. We express our thankfulness for them. And third, we challenge them to be used of the Lord. We challenge one another to serve. This is what we see next in, in First Timothy, or Second Timothy, chapter one, verse six. He goes on and he says this, For this reason, then I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This reveals us two things about the gift that the Holy Spirit gives us. First, it reveals to us very clearly that that gift must be used. It is not to be something stored inside like you do with your nice car that you never want to drive in your garage. No, this is something that the Holy Spirit, that God has given the church in you, that you would be used of the Lord to help edify the church. That I need your gift for my own spiritual well-being and, and growth. And likewise, you need my gift for exactly the same reason. That doesn't mean we all have the same gifts, but that means that we should all be functioning with those gifts. And here's number two, which is even scarier. Okay, yes, we need to be using our gifts. Okay, I see that, Pastor Jason. But what's the other thing? The other thing is that the gifts are not static. Meaning that if you don't use it, then it becomes like you've lost it, like you lose it. Not that you lose it, but because you're not practicing it, because you're not using it over and over again, what happens to that gift? Like your muscles, they become weak. And then when you go out and try to work on a work day, your back gets all messed up really quick. Why? Because you're sitting at a desk all the time instead of actually doing work like you used to do. Just a little bit of experience. And it's the same way with gifts. What must have been happening is there's something in Timothy where he was pulling back a little bit on his gift. Saying, you know what? Man, this isn't really going too good for me. Every time I try to go out and use my gift, I keep getting smacked. What was his gift? Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We, we saw before what his gift is. And how did Timothy know what his gift was? And the Holy Spirit gave it to him? Did it just, here's the gift of teaching? No. How do you learn your gift? 
you serve. You step in and serve and it becomes apparent to you what your gift is. And it becomes apparent to others what your gift is. Why? Because you are a blessing. Sorry, did I tell you where we are in 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Until I come, and man, I want to come, Timothy. Many believe that the crying happened when Paul came to Ephesus, saw Timothy, then had to leave him there. That would make sense. Why? Because this was a difficult ministry, and it doesn't seem like it's gotten that much better in 2 Timothy. And what has happened from the time of 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy, can you guess? Persecution by Nero is just being ratcheted up. So it could be that Timothy was thinking about, man, is my end going to be like Paul's? Verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 4. To exhortation and teaching, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Wait, I thought, I thought it happened when Paul laid his hands on him. Well, that's when the gift came. But all of the elders were there present. So God's word doesn't contradict itself. It's a both and. All of them were there. It doesn't tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul was there, but he was there too. And as Paul laid his hands on, when everybody else had their hands laid on, that's when the gift came. And what was the gift? Well, if he's being called on to to preach and to teach, then we'd have to assume that those were the gifts. Take pains in these things, be absorbed in them, verse 15, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit given to Timothy to edify the church. And in essence, what is Paul saying? He's saying, now, right now, Timothy, your gift is more like a small little fire. You've been honing it. I've been seeing it grow. I've been seeing it grow more and more. I've been giving you more and more opportunities to teach. Listen, you're now at Ephesus. You're teaching. But don't pull back now, Timothy. What the Lord wants to do is he wants to keep refining you. He wants to keep building you up in this particular gift and turn that gift into a mighty blazing flame for the glory of God. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy. Very similar to what we see in 1 Peter. In fact, turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 4. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts for a particular purpose, and it's not so that we would look great in everybody's eyes. It's not even so that you would grow spiritually. It's for others, and it's for the glory of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Is that any different than today? No, it's just a day closer than it was yesterday for us. So as a result, do what? Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. This sounds like Paul, but it's not. It's Peter. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And here it is. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, Timothy was, was actually in danger of not being a good steward. 
You are in danger of not being a good steward if you are not using the gift the Lord has given you. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who speak, is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And just to tip it all off, what does he do? He says, or top it all off, amen. That God would receive the glory. That's why we've been given these gifts. And we, and we see here that Peter and Paul, they, they both have the same perspective, that we are to be using our gifts. And I, I know what so many people's answers are when it comes to the gift. Well, I, I don't know what my gift is. But one thing I do know, it's not evangelism. Because every time I do it, I'm scared. Okay, that, that, that doesn't get you out. Well, every time I do it, I, I, it just doesn't always go great. Okay, that still doesn't get you out. There's some that have the gift of evangelism and true. When they do it, everything just works and you can't keep them from evangelizing. Because that is God's gift to them. But when we look at Matthew 28, 19 to 20, there's no way for any of us to say, oh, because I don't have the gift of evangelism, I can wave my, I don't have that gift card, and then I don't have to go witnessing at the mall. I don't have to share Jesus with my neighbors. I don't have to invite anybody to the Easter service at RBC. I will leave it to those other guys that love this. Think about this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations if you have the gift of, of making disciples. No, that isn't what it says. It's actually, as you're going, make disciples. It's understood, it's implied that you are going, we're all going somewhere, and as we're going there, you are to make disciples. And how do you do that? By proclaiming the gospel. It's given to all of us, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you have the gift of baptisms. No, it doesn't say that. This is something that has been given to all of us who know the Lord Jesus and are part of His church teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Look, I'm, I'm not even going to express all the different needs that we have in the church. I could. I could tell you about all the different ways that you could serve in this body of Rancho Baptist Church and and I'm not going to do that because, frankly, I, I don't want to be the one to put a particular ministry in your head. I'd much rather allow the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to do that. So, so here's your assignment for this week. If you're not, if you're not involved in, in ministry in a local church, then you need to consider how you can serve. And pray this week that the Holy Spirit, that He would guide you in the process. That doesn't mean that you're going to know what your gift is. That means that you step forward and go, hey, you know what, man, you keep bringing this to me. I've never even really done that. This could be a train wreck. But you know what, I'm going to take a step forward and I'm going to trust you, Lord. And I'm going to serve you in this particular area. So what do we do? We tell them that we're praying for them. We express our thankfulness for them. We challenge them to be used of the Lord and Fourth and finally, we have to remind them of the strength that is not in them, but the strength of the Holy Spirit. For that is where Paul ends up wrapping everything up in verse 7. He can't help but talk about the Spirit. Why? Because he just talked about the gifts. 
And whenever Paul talks about the gifts, he talks about the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons why I believe that this should be a capital S. The other reason is because it starts out with a four. And the four points back to verse six. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The gift of God that comes from the Holy Spirit. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Not speaking of our own particular spirit, but speaking of the Holy Spirit. Why is this? Because Paul recognizes that Timothy in himself that in his own personality and who he is, that, that he's, man, he's all about timidness. He's all about being introverted and all this other stuff where you could say, man, there's no way I could step forward and do any of the things that you're asking me to do here, Paul. And you know what Paul's response is? You're right. But I'm not asking you to do this. I'm having you trust the Lord and the Holy Spirit living in you to do this through you. Timothy. That's what this is all about. And then he gives them these three ways that, that having the Holy Spirit indwelling, living inside Timothy can combat this aspect of timidity. This timidness that was in Timothy. Timidness being this, a lack of mental or moral strength. It's, it's really, it could have been translated as cowardice. And Paul says there's three things that the Holy Spirit gives us that allows us, allows you, allows you and me this morning to conquer this. To conquer wanting to be ruled by fear. That is power, love, and discipline. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. Power, what is that? Strength. But don't think in terms of strength to do miracles. Yes, the Holy Spirit can give that kind of strength. We see it throughout the book of Acts. But here in 2 Timothy, this is a, a strength that is the power to, to, to rise above that fear, that timidity that Timothy felt in his circumstances. I don't know what it looks like for you. You fill in the blank. As to what that thing is that you say, man, I just continue to struggle with this. Maybe it's the fear of man. I believe that's, that is something that Timothy struggled against. And what is the answer? The answer is the strength given through the Holy Spirit. What is the second answer? It is the love. The Greek word agape given through the Holy Spirit. What is that? Unconditional love. It's an others-focused kind of love. It's the kind of love that allows Paul to, to see outside this dirt cell that he is in and to vividly see Timothy, to see his mom, to see his grandma and want to love on them all and encourage them and spur his young son in the faith to keep going even when he wants to stop. It's the same fear that John mentions in 1 John chapter 4.18, I'm sorry, the same kind of love that is the answer to that kind of fear. Where we see this, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Do you recognize, young Timothy, do all of us recognize this morning that the answer to our fears is love? Christ's love, Christ's love for us, displayed for us upon that cross behind me. Why? 
Because ultimately fear and what this is talking about in 1 John is judgment. Judgment is not going to come to any of us that have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Judgment for our sins. No, that has been dealt in full when Jesus was on the cross. And His love put on display for us reminds us that we have no fear. That's why Paul could write, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he was utterly convinced to the umpteenth degree that no matter what happened to him here, that it was going to be better for him there. Do you have that kind of confidence? The Holy Spirit indwelling in you helps you with that kind of confidence. Why? Because you understand the love that God has for you, and then that motivates you to love others. Third, the word used here is discipline. At least in my New American Standard, that's the way that it was translated, but it is the idea of self-control. Self-control. Having the ability to have self-control and honor God in the midst of all the craziness of being tempted by this world, by the devil, and by our flesh. To have self-control to say no. In, in Timothy's case, it's the self-control to say no, to, to be intimidated to walking away, so to speak, from the ministry and only going at it like at 20% instead of 100%, which is what Paul is encouraging him to do. Can you imagine ending your life being thankful while in this dirt-walled prison by yourself or with a whole bunch of guys that you normally wouldn't want to be with, a whole bunch of criminals? And yet that's exactly what Paul was. He was thankful. Let's, let's follow Paul's example. Looking after others and encouraging others by doing what? By praying for them and then letting them know that we're praying for them. By being full of thankfulness for them and the work that God is doing in them. Or just letting them know, hey, you know what? I'm thankful for who you are in my life. And I'm praying for you. Particularly if they don't know the Lord, I'm praying that you would come to salvation in Christ. For those that know the Lord, we would encourage them to serve Him with the gifts that the Lord has given and to be mindful and remember the strength of the Holy Spirit for He is our strength and the only way that we have strength to live this life is if we are abiding in Christ on a daily basis. Part of what that looks like is this attitude of prayer that Paul had. I, I pray that the Lord would use something seen today in his word to stir us to becoming more like Jesus. Let me pray as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we know that it's been thousands of years since Paul is gone. His faith has already been turned from, from or his sight has already been turned from faith to sight. He now knows what the joy of being in your presence is. We are still looking at it from this perspective, from this vantage point of this life. And Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to live for you all the days of our lives, Lord. And we know that we can't do that without the power of your Spirit, without the help of one another. So 
use us, work in our lives, that we would pour into one another, that we would have this attitude of prayer by which we walk in dependence upon you all day long. When you bring someone to mind, we stop and we pray for them. And then we let them know that we prayed for them and that that would challenge and encourage us and build your church, Lord, and use us to be your vessels to be your spokesman, your spokeswoman for you, to share you with others, that more and more might come to a saving knowledge of you. And it's for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.